All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. Welcome to the serious seminar. Uh, this so myself. My name is Aniket Kati. I'm an assistant professor here. I used to run this serious seminar last semester or last to last semester somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, so uh, today I'm here to introduce Pedro Moreno Sanchez, and Pedro is going to talk about Ripple Network, basically what kind of things that can go wrong in that space. Pedro is a PhD student here at Purdue. Uh, who works uh, with me, mm -hmm. and I'm fortunate to have, have him as my student. A uh, little bit about Pedro. Pedro mm -hmm. is actually from Spain, uh, mm -hmm. but then he took one trip to Scotland, and then he realized <laughs> that probably he should just wandering around. And after that, he has been just country hopping. Uh, he spent some time in Netherlands, mm -hmm. I think two years, mm -hmm. then three years in Germany, mm -hmm. and now here for last three years in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now again, he is probably going back to Austria, so mm -hmm. he has been going to all different countries. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, without then further ado, Pedro, why don't you speak uh, what you want to say? Okay. Well, thank you very much for the introduction, and thank you everybody for attending, attending my talk. Um, as Professor Kate said, uh, today I'm here to talk about uh, our project, which is called Mind Your Credit, um, Assessing the Health of the Repo Credit Network. And this is a joint work with uh, the students in Navid Modin and Raghubir Songela, and the supervision of Professor Aniket Kate and Professor Sonia Fami. So as basically, as Anike said, I'm here today to talk about the Ripple Network. Um, the Ripple Network is a blockchain technology that uh, has separated from other blockchain technologies by offering new functionalities. In particular, it offers the possibility of creating path-based transactions in which we can use different currencies. And this new functionality has allowed us to, to have a, a new plethora of, uh, of applications has interesting and key advantages for new industries like uh, remittance or cross-border transactions. We will see that in detail during, during the talk. But let me start from, from the basics. Let me start trying to convince you why we need actually great networks. The, if some of you know Bitcoin, the first question that might come to your mind is that, okay, we already have cryptocurrencies, we already have uh, Bitcoin. Why do we need another blockchain system? Why do we need another payment system? So imagine this simple scenario in which we have two users, Alice and Bob, and um, Alice has a bunch of coins, probably not five or six, because now she will be super rich, but some amount of coins, and she wants to pay to, to Bob. One situation that can happen is that Bob has never heard about Bitcoin, and Bob doesn't even know how it works, or just doesn't want to receive the, the payment in Bitcoin. Uh, then Alice cannot actually perform such a transaction. And, and it's true, or probably you might agree with me, that not everybody in the world uses Bitcoin. And probably we are not going to reach a situation in which everybody in the world is going to use Bitcoins for the payment for their payments. And here I have used the, the example of Bitcoin, but you can imagine a similar argument for any currency that we use in the, in the, in the world. So I believe that we are going to um, a situation that is going to be more um, usual in practice is that Alice will have a bunch of Bitcoins and some dollars in a bank. Bob instead will have um, some other money, you know, probably another currency in a bunch uh, in a bunch of banks. Probably he has like thousand five hundred uh, Canadian dollars and two hundred uh, US dollars. And of course, we can have many more users and many many more currencies. And probably what we want actually is that all these users are allowed to exchange uh, money with each other independently of the currency that they that they hold. At this point, it might seem like you know, like a really abstract concept, and why we should care this in our daily life, actually. 
The point is, like, um, I believe that we use this concept of creating not growing out of daily life is that we might not realize it, actually. Let me, let me put it in an example. So imagine that uh, one day, uh, Bob and Alice goes to a coffee shop, um, let's say Starbucks, for example, um, and Bob pays for, for the coffee of Alice. At the moment, Alice owes the, the money of the coffee to Bob, let's say $4 for, for, for the example. That we can represent it actually as an, a directed edge from Alice to Bob that represents that at the moment Alice owes four, $4 to Bob. Uh, we, we reach another day and now uh, Bob and Charles go for, for a meal and Charles pay the meal for, for Bob. So following a similar argument, now Bob owes $10 to, to Charles. Okay? And as you can imagine, we can extend this um, more and more and we can create a, a, a complex and more complex network. The interesting part comes when, for example, imagine that now Alice and, and Charles, they go for, for a drink and Alice pays the drink, which is $2, let's say, for Charles. Now Charles owes these $2 back, back to Alice. Here we, we have two options. I guess that the, the trivial one that most of you are thinking is that we can create a directed edge from, Char from Charles to Alice with a value of two. That will represent that Charles owes two, $2 to Alice. Instead, the, the one of the future new features that are inter, uh, introduced by creating network is that this debt between Charles and Alice can be settled through the path. So in this example that you are seeing the screen, you can, Charles can settle the $2 debt as follows. So Charles first will say, okay, Bob, now you don't owe me $10, you owe me $8. And Bob, in turn, will reduce also the debt that Alice has with, with her. And the, the interesting point in here is that for these intermediate nodes, uh, there is no loss of credit or there is no loss of money. And if you think of it as the, as the net value, the difference between the money that one user is owed and how much money the user owes to others, before Bob was owed 10, but he owed, uh, he was owed four, sorry, he owed 10. So the net balance was six. After the transaction, the net balance of Bob didn't, didn't change. So in that sense, for intermediary nodes, in principle, there is no problem for them to, to be participant in a path-based transaction. Um, yeah, at this point, you can imagine that uh, we can use this credit network setting for a bit more complicated payments and just setting money for, for a coffee. So imagine that we have a bit more uh, com uh, complex network, like the one in the, in the slide. Um, here, what they mean the, the, the users are, are nodes, or nodes are users, and the edges are um, all relationships, or uh, one node owes credit to the other. The number is the, the amount of credit that one node owes to the next, and the number in parentheses is the upper bound, is how much credit more uh, the user can, um, can owe to the other. Okay, so for example, the, the edge between Santander and Eve means that Santander owes already $250 to Eve, and this debt can grow up to $500. Okay. And in such an area, imagine now that Alice wants to pay uh, $100 to Bob. Okay. So the first thing that we have to do is that we have to find a path between the sender and the receiver with uh, enough credit, and in principle with the currency that we want to pay to. In this case, we are lucky because there is this path here from Alice to Bob that passes through Santander and if, that where everybody uh, agreed to have some credit in, in dollars. 
So um, now, um, in order to settle this debt, we have to look at the directions of the edges. Okay. So the the edges that are in the direction from the sender to the receiver are increased by the amount of credit that we want to settle, and the edges in the other direction are decreased by the amount of uh, credit that you want to settle. Since like that seems a bit counterintuitive, counterintuitive, but I think the example will be clearer. So. Obviously, if Alice wants to pay $100, the first thing is that the credit of Alice should be decreased. So now she has only 900 And this has to be forwarded by Santander to Eve. So Eve now has 350 Obviously, because Eve has received more credit, she has to forward it. So she will have less now, 100 less with, with the Cross River Bank. And, the, and eventually, the Cross River Bank will forward it to, to Bob. So at this point, Alice has paid 100 credit. Bob has received 100 credit. And everybody in the middle has not lost nor win any credit. Their net balance is the same. Okay. Um, as I said, the, such a transaction, or we, we first have to define what is the, the validity of a transaction, or what we mean that transaction is valid. And in such a system, we say that such a transaction is valid if none of the numbers decrease below zero. So we never can have non-negative credit value. And the, for the numbers that increase, they cannot go over the upper bound. Okay? So as soon as we stay between these two bounds, then the transaction is correct. And one term that uh, we might hear later, and I want to use now, is this term of, of rippling. So for example, the transaction that I have shown to you, if has performed rippling. Basically means that she accepted to redistribute her credit, or the, credit that her, uh, the credit that she had in the credit links in order to allow the transactions from Alice to Bob. Okay? Similarly, the uh, Santander and Cross River in the example did something, something similar. Finally, just to, fin uh, to show you the, the last example of the uh, background information that we will need for the talk is uh, uh, what we call a cross-currency transaction. And it's one of the functionalities that uh, are in the credit network that set them apart from other cryptocurrencies. So imagine now Alice wants to pay to Bob, and Bob says, I want to receive the payment in Canadian dollars. Okay? The problem is that Alice doesn't really have Canadian dollars. So what does what she can do, right? So first she has to decide which currency she wants to spend. Let's say that she wants to spend the, the bitcoins. And let's say for the sake of the sample that 0 0.1 Bitcoin correspond to 20 Canadian dollars. Probably not with the price today, but just for, for the sake of the sample. These conditions already determine which is the path that we uh, have to use. In this case, it's the, the one in the top, which starts in Bitcoins and at some moment switch to, to Canadian dollars. The problem is that we need somebody that allows this switch between Bitcoins and, and Canadian dollars. And this is, the, this is a figure that is called Market Maker. And it's, in this case, it's Eve. So basically, this market maker is just another network that publicly announces um, an exchange offer or a message of the type, I offer to exchange uh, Canadian dollars by BTC or vice versa. And it's also the exchange rate. In this case, one Bitcoin by 200 uh, Canadian dollars. In this manner, Eve actually allows to, to use her two links and linked, which is the, the exchange rate between the two, the two currencies. So as, as before now, we can perform the path-based transactions. So Alice has uh, her, her credit decreased, um, while Evie has now more, more Bitcoin. Um, now Alice will perform the exchange rate, so she will buy 
20 Canadian dollars by the 0.1 Bitcoin that she spent. Now, if we we'll forward it, and eventually the 20 Canadian dollars arrive, arrive to vote. Okay? And as before, we have to ensure that the transaction is valid by assuming or by actually checking that we respect the bounds, the, the zero and the upper bound. And yeah, as I said, like, this is an example of exchange offer, like an, a user that uh, offered exchange between two currencies to, again, allow transactions between any two users in, in the network. So uh, at this point, we know everything that we need for, at least at this point, for the, the concept of repo credit network. So basically, it's a, it's a graph where the nodes are the users, the edges are the credit links, and nodes represent not only users, but also banks that are using the system all around the world. So we have examples in here in the US, this CBW and Cross River Bank. So Canada, uh, with the Royal Bank of Canada. We also have examples in, in Europe with uh, Santander. Also, uh, the Ripple Network allows to have cryptocurrencies inside the network. So we have Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, any, any other cryptocurrency that you want. And this allows the Ripple Network, as I said, to represent credit in, in any fiat currency, Canadian dollars, dollars, euros, the pounds, also in cryptocurrencies. And even also in um, two users can define the credit between them in any user-defined currency. Okay? So one example, for example, is this goodwill currency. So people were paying goodwill to, to order in exchange for hours of service. So if I help some, some friend by cleaning the house or uh, going with a walk with a dog or something like that, this, this friend will pay me back using this goodwill currency. The point is, is that these extra functionalities that are, not, that are um, introduced for the first time by this technology has uh, proposed several advantages for, for financial institutions or for cross-currency and remittance industries in comparison with uh, the traditional banks that we have today. So in particular, now um, it is possible to perform cross-currency transactions in a matter of seconds, uh, ballpark 3.5, I think between three and five seconds. Um, it is possible to perform transactions worldwide, uh, cross-currency transactions, while we pay still a small fee, um, at least way smaller than the one we pay with the banks. And another property is that uh, all these transactions are publicly available, so everybody can check um, the, the validity of them or verify actually that the transactions were correctly, were correctly performed. While in the case of the bank, the bank has its, uh, its own records, but then we have to trust that the, the record is correctly, correctly done. Yeah, as I said, it's an interesting approach for cross-currency and, um, and remittance. So in this, in this background, in this setting, in what the first thing that we were interested in is uh, looking at this public available data and study the, the structure and the evolution of this uh, Ripple network. So we first downloaded the, the whole, not the whole internet, but the, the whole Ripple network. And I promise that took less than 4,000 years, but <laughs> close. Um, and once we uh, downloaded everything, we, we downloaded the complete network from the beginning until the end of August 2017. And we managed to, to get uh, more than 8 million path-based transactions, more than 180,000 um, accounts or wallets, and a bit more than three, uh, 350, 350,000 credit, credit links. 
One interesting thing that we saw just from, from the data itself is that um, the activity of the network, by did I mean the number of accounts, number of credit links, and even the number of transactions, has grown way more in the years 2017 than in the rest of the period. Um, this is in tune with the, with the more use or the widespread use of cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology in general in the last, in the last year. So in the, in the next few slides, I want to focus a little on this data and give you a couple of uh, metrics that we have to characterize this, this data. Okay. So we first look at the, um, at the ripple transactions. And there are, as you can imagine, we, we can classify them using different, um, uh, different metrics. So one metric or one criteria that we had is uh, separate them by circular and non-circular transactions. So we saw that there were around uh, 2 million or around 30% of the transactions are circular. And by that we mean that the sender and the receiver are the same node in the network. And uh, you can see that in the picture, for example, uh, Alice could have a path that goes through the Bitcoin gateway, Bob, and then her own bank and back. And these type of transactions are basically or could be done for, a, for Alice to exchange credit between the two gateways from Bitcoins to to US dollars or vice versa. And also because probably Bob is gonna um, offer a, a really good exchange rate. So Alice will do such a thing to in order to buy Canadian dollars or to buy Bitcoins because the exchange rate might be better than the real world. We will see that, uh, uh, we will see an example of that later. Another bunch of transactions that we found interesting are these uh, Transactions which are still non-circular, but are cross-currency transactions. And they amount, again, for around 30%. And the, this exemplify the use of, of Ripple as a cross-currency transaction te technology. Another criteria that we have to, um, um, yeah, to measure the transactions or to characterize transactions is the number of intermediate users. As I said, like there are intermediate users allowed to perform, to perform transactions. But we saw that around 15% of them do not really use any intermediary. So it's just the, the sender and the receiver of the transaction. And we, we observed that these are basically direct interactions between the user and, and the bank or the gateway, basically to deposit or withdraw credit from them. We saw that most of them, or 55% uh, of the transactions, have actually one intermediary. And these basically, in practice, exemplify the transactions between two users that use the same, the same gateway, or an example like the one in the figure, in which um, a gateway might have uh, two wallets and use, which are connected between each other, and use one of the wallets to send or credit towards its client, to, to the other users that are connected to, to the wallet. And finally, the, the last 35% use two or more transactions, and we believe that they are example of a remittance and cross-currency cross -currency transactions. Apart from the transactions, as I said, we also downloaded the complete set of credit links and, and, uh, and wallets. And we uh, did some experiments also to characterize the, the structure of the graph of the, of the network. So first, we, we use uh, what is called a motif uh, to, to devise or to see which is the, the, the core structure of the network. A motif, for those of you who don't know, is basically a, a subgraph of three nodes that represent a small structure between these three nodes these three nodes. And, and the technique basically is like you define several of those motives and see which is the one that appear the most in the overall network. That manner, you see which is the motive that represents the complete network. 
And in, in this case, uh, we saw that the motif represented in the figure is the, the most characteristic. So we have a, a gateway and then connected to, with two users as, as shown there. So we, as a consequence, we believe that gateways are actually still clip players in the, in the network. We also look at the, the community structure, how, how nodes actually structure itself inside, inside the network. Um, basically, for that, we use a, a community, community extraction algorithm that allow uh, give us the different communities inside the network. And then we labeled every uh, community with a node for which we knew the, the geographical location. And once we, we have that, we labeled the whole community with the same geographical location. So basically, our conclusions here were that uh, actually there are communities that form around the, the, the gateway or are geographically close to, to, to the closest gateway. And we also observe that communities are actually dynamic. For example, if you see in the graph, uh, here we show in the x-axis, we show the different snapshots of the network that we took. In the y-axis, we show the, the number of wallets in each of the communities. And the different colors depict the different communities. So you can see, for example, that the red community in, in 2016, it was only one community that is split it in three in, in August uh, 2017. And that was because um, many gateways in Europe actually attracted uh, more users and more activity, and the community algorithm split them, actually. And the contrary case happened with the community between Israel and China. So in 2016, there were two different communities, but the the um, operations and activities of Israel actually decreased, while the China community actually increased a lot and kind of overcame or overtook the one of Israel, and the algorithm actually put them, put them together. So in a, in a nutshell, actually, these communities are evolving and are, are dynamic in, in nature. Um, and the final element or the final thing that we want to do, or we studied actually to characterize the graph, was the, the liquidity. And uh, liquidity, in a nutshell, means that uh, the network should have enough credit to allow users to perform transactions between each other. But we needed a more concrete definition in order to measure it in the network. So what we did, or what we said, is that for us, liquidity means that given a pair of uh, users, which is the sender and the receiver, the amount that of credit that can be sent from the sender to the receiver must be bounded or must be limited by the amount of credit that has uh, the amount of credit owned by the sender or by the receiver. Let's see that through, through an example. So imagine the, the network that we have here. We say that such a network has liquidity for the pair of users Alice and Bob. If the amount of credit that Alice can send from Alice to Bob is limited by the credit of Alice, which in this case means the two credit lines that Alice have with uh, the bank, Civil uh, Review and, and Santander. And in this case, it's actually liquid because obviously, I mean, Eve has way more credit than 150 that we need. Um, and Bob has only incoming credit lines, so the, the values will always only increase and there is no upper bound. So basically, Alice can perform the transaction for $150. So we repeated this several times uh, for around 10,000 pairs of uh, sender and receiver. And we observed that for more than 90% of, of those pairs of users, the network was actually liquid. So we believe, or our conclusion here is that the, the core of the Ripple network actually provide, provides liquidity to, to the Ripple users. Um, so yeah, 
up to here so far with our characterization of the of the report network. The second part of the project, or yeah, the second main block of the project was about uh, studying the security of the credit of the users or how secure users use the credit that they have in the in the report network. For that, we we study different uh, behaviors that they have and see or study uh, what things can go wrong or what can go wrong the way they use the, the credit. The first one we called it the defect of unexpected balance shifts. And the idea here is that if you remember at the beginning, we have seen that um, a report transaction actually maintains the, the net balance of the intermediate users, right? So everything in principle might be fine. The problem is that a credit value in a link, so that the actual credit, the actual value of the credit in the link and its value market, or the market and the value, really depends on the issuer of that credit or the institution or the user actually that issued that credit to the other. So then having a credit with one user might not be, or having US dollars in credit with one gateway, with one user, might not have the same market value as having the same amount of dollars with another gateway or financial institution. Let's see that in, the, in this example. Um, so imagine again that Alice wants to pay to, to Bob, and exactly the same example as before, like this $100. Um, as we saw before, the, the, all the links in the path are gonna change by 100, by decreasing or increasing depending on the direction. And as you can see here, the, the value of if she's gonna have more dollars from Santander, while she will have now less dollar with Cross River Bank, okay? And now, in this change implies that if for some reason Santander um, disappears or the value of the dollars of the market value of Santander actually decreases, she actually loses real value out of this credit, even though the, the amount is exactly the same. So probably uh, Eve doesn't want to, to have that. And extending this experiment to, to the whole network, we found that around or a bit more than uh, 11,000 users are prone to this problem that we call rippling. And if we count actually the amount of, of money that is prone to this attack or to this uh, security issue, it's around or a bit more than uh, 13 million dollars. So and in this scenario, in this, in this problem, we believe that uh, less active users should probably opt to disable rippling at all or not take part of, of this process. And for that, they can use what is called the, the rippling flag. Uh, so it's a configuration bit in, the, in each of the credit links that they can set in order to, to show that they don't want to take part of a transaction or they don't want to be the intermediate node of a transaction. However, uh, other users which are more active um, and they have more, more credit maybe, they might want to dynamically adjust the amount of credit that they want to, to be part of this, this rippling. One reason might be because they actually uh, charge some fees for doing uh, such a service, so they get actually some credit in the process. A uh, curious setting that we saw also is that there were some links in which um, the, the actual credit value was zero, while the, credit, the upper bound was really high. And we believe those links are from users which actually wanted to, to nullify this, this credit link, but uh, they nullified only the value, not the, credit, not the upper bound. So uh, an adversary or a, a, a user that sees this situation can still use this gap in order to perform rippling through that credit link. And the user actually might lose credit in the, in the process doing that. 
So this is only one, one of the things that can go, can go wrong. So there are, there are others. Um, the next one that we studied is uh, what happens with, uh, with the gateways. Um, what happens in one of the gateways is, is faulty or doesn't operate as, as expected. And as we saw before, gateways are actually still key players on the network, so really it might make sense to, to look at them and see what happens. So one of the things that can happen if, uh, if a gateway becomes faulty is that he can disable rippling in all its links, okay? So in the figure here, imagine that this landmark with this gateway over there disable rippling all the links with the users that they, they are connected with. That moment, the, the corresponding users actually get, get their credit frozen, or what I mean by that is their credit cannot be used to send it anywhere else, okay? So the, the only thing that they can do is send this credit to the, to the gateway and expect that the gateway cash back or withdraw the, the, actual, the actual credit in the real life. Um, the problem is that uh, we have seen and we will see later that some of those gateways, if they become faulty, maybe they just don't answer also in the real world. So this credit is basically lost or at least stuck in the, in the network. Also, another thing that might happen is that, okay, if this credit is frozen or actually cannot be used to, to even help other users to route through them, Effectively, effectively in the network, this means that these things are not actually part of the network. We cannot use it for all the transactions. So these users are effectively or in practice disconnected from, from the network. And we saw, uh, taking this example to, to the whole network, we saw that more than 100,000 uh, users, around 60% of them, are prone to this problem if the 10 more connected gateways actually become faulty or, or disappear. And also we counted the, the amount of credit that might uh, get frozen if, if those get disappeared. And we saw that um, these 100 or 112,000 uh, users are prone to be disconnected and yet they will have around $42 million frozen on those credit links with those gateways that, that disappear. So our conclusion from this experiment is that, yeah, the, the networks still have those um, big gateways or the really well-connected gateways, which are really too big to fail, um, um, would be better that they don't. Um, and also that the users, in order to avoid these situations, users should improve their connectivity. So they will should create more credit links with other gateways and split the credit that they have with, with other gateways so that they don't get all the credit frozen at once. Actually. This point you, you might think, ah, okay, but a gateway going bankrupt or a gateway going fault, faulty is not really a realistic uh, situation of mind. How realistic is this case? So we saw that the, uh, so, uh, we studied a use case that happened in reality. So one of the gateways, which is called uh, pair routes, was uh, flagged by the Ripple community as uh, faulty. And because uh, users saw that the gateway stopped answering them whenever they had some some uh, deposit or withdrawal operation. Actually, we contacted themselves, uh, we contacted them by ourselves, and so far we didn't get any, any answer from them. So what, what happens there is, like, as I said, and the gateway put, the, actually this gateway actually put those uh, links with the ripping flag, with the ripping flag active, says that these three users, these three women cannot actually use the credit anymore. But there was also another, um, another situation that we didn't expect, but actually happened. So imagine Bob here, um, he has $300, okay? His link is actually not frozen yet, so it uh, can be used because it doesn't have the ribbon flag. 
The problem is like the only way to take this money out, to skip this money, is going through through Charles. Okay? And Charles has already maxed out his link. Right? So in practice, he cannot actually use the Bob as an intermediate user to take this credit out of, of the gateway. So even Bob has not doesn't have his credit frozen yet, in practice are also stuck, are also they cannot be used to, to perform transactions. The only thing would be the only thing that he can do is contact the gateway, but as I said, the gateway is, is unresponsive, it's not uh, responding to, to to the users. So we we studied what is the, the, the scale of this problem. We saw that there are more than six hundred users with a credit link with pair routes. And such that they are jointly around a little less than $5 million, which are stuck. And this is, by stuck, I mean the users cannot actually perform a transaction with, with, those, uh, with those credits. Nevertheless, here we, uh, we want to say that um, pay routes, so the case of pay route is one case that happened, but it's not the, the norm in the credit network or in the ribbon network. There have been uh, other gateways that also stop the business, but they did it in a in a more um, um, in a more uh, defined manner. Or what I mean by that is that, for example, Dividend Rippler, before they went out of business, they announced uh, publicly that they were going to do so, and they sent uh, information to the to the clients saying, "Look, you have X months to come to us and withdraw your money before we go out of business and, and freeze your your credit links." Actually, from that behavior, we saw that at the end, when Dividend Rippler uh, disappeared, there were around also 600 uh, users with a link to them. However, there was only around $1,000 frozen with this, with this gateway. We believe that these are users which are unattentive or they had just a few dollars and didn't want to, to cash out, actually. Um, you think that this, is <laughs> this might be all, but there is also more problems, uh, more, more problems from the point of view of security in the Ribbon Network. And we call this one, this is study, the, the effect of stale offers. Um, so as we have seen, um, exchange offers are an important part of the Ripple network because there are cryptocurrency transactions and then there must be users actually that offer the exchange between two, two currencies. The problem is that the, the, the offer in the Ripple network might be, or must be uh, similar to the offer in the real world. Right? Or, Otherwise, if they are really different, one of the two parties is losing money, the, um, the normally the, the market maker. And we saw that this situation is actually problematic with the cryptocurrencies just because the, the real world value of the cryptocurrencies is really unstable. Well, most of them, you have seen that the price of Bitcoin, for example, or Ethereum has spikes from, from time to time, actually. So, we, we studied which is, a, which is the impact of this problem in the Ripple network. And for that, we took a, a period in which uh, one of the cryptocurrencies, the XRP, which is the cryptocurrency built inside the, the Ripple network, spiked in 10 days for about 380%. So what I mean by that is that the value of Ripple after 10 days was 380 times bigger than before the period. Actually. And in order to study this, this um, this effect, we went to the Ripple network, we extracted all the transactions in these 10 days that used the XRP BTC exchange rates and see how they compare to the actual value in the, the real world. And this is what we try to show in this, in this graph. 
So in the x-axis, you have the, the transactions. So transactions use this XRP to BTC exchange rate. And in the y-axis, you have the, the price. Or how many Bitcoins somebody had to pay in order to get one XRP, both in the real world, marked with a green, green X, and in the repo, in the repo network, marked with the, with the purple X. We did the same, but in the reverse exchange offer. So, uh, one would actually also um, get one Bitcoin by paying um, XRP. And in order to make sense a bit of this graph, let me tell you which we should get out of it. The idea is that if the ripple offer is higher than, or the value of the ripple offer is higher than the, the offer in the real world, the market maker actually gets money out of it, right? Because he, somebody would use this uh, offer in the ripple market or in the ripple network, he could cash out and the ripple world is, is less than, will have got less than that. Um, so we believe that this is a normal situation uh, where market maker actually should get some money, some uh, fee for offering the service of exchanging between the currencies. However, there are many, many cases in which the purple price or the, the, the price in the Ripple network is way lower than the, the one in the real life. Okay? So in this case, the market maker is actually losing credit in the process. If there is a user that actually uses this exchange rate in the Ripple network, will be way cheaper than using it in the, in the real world. So we, we took this uh, information, this data, and we tried to see how much money market makers will lose in the, in the, by having this misconfiguration of the exchange offer. So we saw that the market makers actually put at risk around 250K dollars during this period of, of 10 days in 2013. And uh, users that saw that uh, created circular transactions that use this uh, favorable or better exchange rate to get around $7,000. But this is not a, um, this is not a one-time thing. As you can imagine, there are many of these spikes in the cryptocurrencies. There are many, and also in other currencies as well. So we saw the, the we wanted to study if, if users have learned out of this problem, actually. I think that the outcome or my answer would be no at this point because um, in 2016, for example, there was another spike of the Bitcoin price and we did exactly the same experiment. We, s we s uh, studied if the market makers in the Ripple network were putting the exchanges at the same price as in the Ripple in the real life or not. The point like they didn't and they put at risk around $500,000 and users got around $5 million. So that means that users did not only took advantage of those um, those exchange offers from the Bitcoin price, but also exchange offers which are not correct or stale in other cryptocurrency or in other currencies inside inside the network. So the outcome from this would be that uh, market or we believe that market makers actually should actively update their offers. So every time, so they should actively look at the the market value of the offers that they are producing or the real value and accordingly update the, the offers that they have in the, in the Ripple network. So let me conclude with uh, a couple of, of remarks. Um, so basically we have seen here um, the Ripple network and I have tried to give you an overview of how it works and which are the, the principles of it. And also that it has gained momentum and grow, was growing way more in, in 2017 according to the data that we, we extracted. 
And in the characterization of that data, we have seen that actually gateways are still the, the key players in, in such a network, while users actually are grouped geographically around those, those gateways. And in our liquidity experiment, we saw that the core of the network actually provides uh, high liquidity. On the other hand, from the security point of view, uh, we have seen that the main two operations of the Ripple network, which is the rippling and, and exchange offers, possess still today security, security challenges. But one of the things that we have seen is that a large number of users are actually prone to this rippling problem that we saw. Uh, or to the undesirable redistribution of credit. And for them, we believe that they should adjust their credit limits accordingly to the only the amount that they are willing to put at risk by the fee that they want to charge for that. We also saw that the users can actually be um, affected or can be can have their credit frozen by a, by a handful of gateways or not in the network. We saw a case that actually happened with the, with the payouts. So we believe that users actually should uh, add more credit links into a network, create more connectivity, and uh, split their credit uh, correspondingly, uh, depending on the trust that they have on the, on the gateway. And finally, we saw that stale offers are still a, a big problem in the, in the credit network and can under, undermine actually the overall credit of, of, the, of the market makers. So we believe that they, they should actually more actively look at the stale offers or the the differences between the price in the Ripple network and the real world and try to match them as, as much as possible. Um, yeah, finally, we in the future, we believe that this work actually should uh, prompt the Ripple community and try to educate the users. What I mean this is create more information to them, create uh, better wiki pages, better information so that they can look at the correct behaviors according to this, uh, this problematic way of behavior. Um, we also believe that the results here that I have shown so far is only for the Ribbon uh, network, but there are other systems, other credit networks that follow similar patterns, like the Stellar. And most of the results that I have shown here might also apply, might also apply to, to them. And obviously, I think we believe that this work should motivate, motivate also further research from the scientific community in order to provide solutions and protocols that try to solve these problems in a, in a more automatic manner. Kind of. And yeah, if, if you want to learn more, um, yeah, we have created a website for the project in which we have more information, also the scripts and the data that we have used for, for the experiments. And the second link is the, the full version of the paper in which we have uh, the full details of all the experiments and all the results that we have uh, in this project. And yeah, uh, with that, I would like to, to thank my collaborators and thank you for, for your attention. If you have any questions, uh, I will be here, glad to answer. So thank you very much. Are there questions? So while others are thinking, let me start. So you mentioned that it's good for the users to uh, make sure that they are not just connected to one gateway, but multiple gateways and distribute their credit uh, across different gateways. But because credit is so associated with their real money, mm -hmm. uh, then is it that their liquidity is lost in that process? You mean by creating different, yes. different? Um, I don't think so because as we saw, actually the, the core of the network is actually well, well connected. So even if you split it among different, um, different gateways or different entry points, you are improving your number of entry points. But still, 
what gives you liquidity, according to our definition at least, is the core of the network. As we saw, this is actually highly, highly liquid. So we believe that uh, splitting these credit links uh, is good not only for faulty gateways, but also because adds the number of entry points. So you might even have uh, better liquidity. Yep. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much.